book of Luke will be in Luke chapter number one, Luke chapter number one, and we'll read a few verses for our text this morning, and then I'll ask you to keep your Bibles open because we'll refer uh, to a few other verses that we do not read this morning, but in the book of Luke chapter number one, uh, but Luke chapter number one, and in just a moment, I'm going to start reading uh, beginning with verse number 11. I want to encourage you to be back in the service tonight. As I mentioned earlier, I plan on preaching on uh, what to do when you're overwhelmed. And so I want you to be in the service this evening. And we look forward to what God has for us this evening as well as this morning. Uh, Luke chapter number 1, of course, uh, the Christmas season this time of year, Luke chapter 2, uh, gives the account of uh, the birth of our Savior. And certainly uh, during this time of year, especially, we want to give some attention to that. Uh, but there's so much that's found in Luke chapter number 1 uh, that gets us up to that point uh, that we find the account in Luke chapter number 2. Uh, there's some things in this passage that I want to bring out today and uh, something that is kind of tucked hid into the Christmas story, if you will, the backdrop of the Christmas story. Uh, we're going to begin reading when we do in verse number 11. Uh, we find the uh, angel Gabriel coming and speaking to Zechariah the prophet, telling him that John the Baptist was going to be born. And John the Baptist, that forerunner of Christ. And uh, But we're going to see, uh, I believe there's a wonderful truth tucked into this uh, story that I want to bring out today. So let's begin reading Verse number 11 of Luke chapter number 1. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right hand side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Uh, we find here, as I've already mentioned, the prophecy. Uh, Gabriel comes and says, Zacharias, you're going to have a child his name is going to be called John. Just an interesting uh, bit of information that I, 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 I see in verse 14, and many shall rejoice at his birth. We know in Luke chapter number 2 that many rejoice at the birth of the Son of God. But also John is going to bring joy to the life of people. Just a good thing to be reminded of that we have that opportunity to bring joy in the life of other people. But I do want to draw uh, our message this morning out of verse 14. And thou shalt have joy and gladness. Thou shalt have joy and gladness. This morning, I want to speak specifically on those two words, joy and gladness. Father, I pray that now as we look into the Word of God, we've already enjoyed time of fellowship. We've already enjoyed singing. We've already enjoyed and enjoyed in listening to the music. And Father, I pray now that as we look to the Word of God, may we allow the Spirit of God to speak to our heart today. May the Word of God be real. Uh, may it work in our heart. And once again, we ask if there's one unsaved, may they get that settled today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the midst of this entire story, and I would just happen to think if uh, I had been Zacharias and 
an angel of the Lord appeared unto me, and, and he's up in age being told that he's going to have a child. And we'll look more about that story. I, I think I would have had to, uh, after leaving the, that, that situation, I would have had to think on these things for a little bit. I would have had to really think about what did I hear that angel say? What did I really see? Because we find in verse number 12 that when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. Now, this was a priest. This was a good man. This was a man faithful in doing the task of the Lord. And when he saw the angel, he was troubled by it. Let me just say, all of us would be troubled by it. And fear fell upon him. I would have to think that of of everything taking place, he would have to to really let it set in. And he would leave doing his duty. And and the scripture tells us that people are waiting. He's taking a long time in there. People are waiting for him to come out. And then after he goes home and and, and he begins to think uh, all of these things through, what did he really say? He really said that. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where it's really a surreal situation. And certainly, don't tell me, I don't mean an angel appeared unto you because you need to change your eating habits and how late you eat at night, if if, if that's the case. But a situation when you go back and you think, I missed this part of the conversation or I didn't even realize what was taking place because so much was taking place. I wonder if Zacharias looked back thinking about what was said, something popped out to him. Like recently, something jumped off of the pages of Scripture to me in a story that I've read many times. And that's in verse number 14. In the midst of the prophecy, there's a son going to be named, and you're going to have a son, his name is John. This was a big deal. It was a big deal because they had been, they, they were without child. They had been praying for a child. And this was going to be an answer to prayer. It was a big deal because of what the angel said that John was going to do. And many were going to turn to the Savior because of your son that is not yet born, but he's going to be born. All of that is significant. And isn't it amazing that when we get saved and then we begin to discover what God does in our life and the blessings that he has promised us and the things that he does for us, all of that in itself is amazing to think that God would choose to bless me at all, that God would choose to allow me to have any part of his work, any part of the things of God. But yet, tucked into verse 14, in the midst of all these great prophecies and promises, and thou shalt have joy and gladness. God has answered your prayers, Zacharias. God has seen your faithfulness. God is going to use you to bring into this world the man called John, who is the forerunner of Christ. You've been chosen by God to bring about about fulfillment of prophecy. But in the midst of your responsibility, I bring you a promise from your God. Thou shalt have joy and gladness. 
This morning, I testify to you, and I think you would testify to me, I count it an honor to do anything for God. I count it an honor that he would use me in any capacity. To think that the God of the heavens would send his son to die on the cross to pay for my sins, to pay for your sins, and to give us salvation with no strings attached. All we have to do is look to him. What, what, what a joy to think about. What an honor to think about that this perfect son of God would die for me. And I get to serve him. I didn't have to come to church this morning. I got to come to church this morning. I don't have to serve him with my life. I get to serve him with my life. There is a specific, and Christian, don't lose sight of this this morning. This isn't the message, but it's important for us to be reminded, no matter who you are, if you're saved this morning, God has something that you can do for him that only you can do. God wants to use you in your life in the work of God in serving him. But in the midst of our responsibility, we find a promise. Thou shalt have joy and gladness. Joy can be defined as a delight of mind from the consideration of the present or the assumption or the assurance of an approaching good. Joy is a delight of mind. It's a state of mind from the consideration or the dwelling of the present or the assurance of an approaching good. I can have joy because it's a state of mind. It's not dependent on external circumstance. It's a consideration of what I have or what I'm going to have. That's why as a child of God, we may say it to one another, you may hear it preach that happiness and joy is not the same thing. And happiness is dependent upon external things. Joy is depending on what I know in my mind, the reality of a situation or something that is going to come to pass. Let me give you an example. As a Christian, all of us should have joy. Why? Because I'm redeemed. That has nothing to do with any external circumstance. We should have joy... Because I'm forgiven. We should have joy because I'm loved. Do you realize this morning, first of all, I don't believe it to be true that any man can say no man loves me, but just let's just for argument's sake say that somebody could say this morning, there's not a man on this planet, there's not another person on this planet that loves me. You would still be loved because God loves you. You can have joy because it is a reality of mind from the consideration of the presence or the assurance of an approaching good. Every Christian ought to have joy this morning because they know heaven is in their future. It doesn't matter how difficult it gets down here. I can still have joy. I can still have a song in my heart. I can still have a smile on my face. Well, how can you be in a good mood? How can you have a, 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 a song in your heart when this is going on and this is taking place in your life and 
this disappointment is there, and this struggle that you have to deal with, and this difficulty that you have to bear, the burden you have to bear every day, why is it that you can still have a song in your heart and praise God? See, it's not about happiness. It's not about external circumstances. I can have joy because I know my suffering is temporary. I can have joy because I know the burden that I bear. First of all, God will help me bear it, but it's temporary. Heaven is in my future. Perfection is in my future. No struggles is in my future. That is a good that is coming. So in the midst of the life that God gives us, in the midst of our duty and responsibility that we find in Luke chapter number 1, when referring to the life of Zacharias, he says, Thou shalt have joy and gladness. We define joy, but we find the word gladness. Simply put, in this context, it's cheerfulness because of joy. Joy is the state of mind, a consideration of the present, or the assurance of an approaching good. I can have a song in my heart. I can have a smile on my face. Oh, when I think about, I'm saved. Oh, I think about... No matter all the, no matter my failures, in the sight of God I'm redeemed. No matter of my faults, when it comes to the God of the heavens, He sees the record of His perfect Son. There's the assurance of that in my mind. And there's an assurance of an approaching good because of that. This is all temporary. I, well, don't you know how bad it is? Oh, I know how bad it is. Oh, but when I think about the promises of God, when I think about the security that I have in heaven, that I have a joy, a delight of mind in the consideration of my present and the assurance of the opposing good. Gladness is being cheerful because of my joy, because I am considering what God has done for me. I am considering. It doesn't matter what circumstances are. It doesn't matter that which is around me. It doesn't matter that which is a disappointment because in my mind, I know what God has done. Listen to me this morning. This world can take everything from you, but it cannot touch your salvation. It cannot change your, your eternal security. It cannot make you any more loved by a holy and a righteous God. It cannot change that. This world can take everything I have. I can be on the street tonight, but I've got a mansion being constructed, and that is coming, and I can have joy in my heart because in my mind I know what Christ did for me. I know the future I have, and I'm cheerful because of it. Joy is that which we know that is good in coming. Gladness is being happy about it. Zacharias has promised a lot of things in our text this morning. But because some are so significant, John the Baptist being born, what John the Baptist is going to accomplish, let us not lose the focus and the emphasis on the importance of the promise that Zacharias has made. In the midst of it, thou shalt have joy and 
peace. I would submit to you and I this morning something that I believe very strongly based on this verse and this principle that we find throughout the Scripture. In the midst of the duty that we have as a child of God, God wants us to know that we can have joy. In the midst of the Bible teaching us It'd be good for Christians, whenever you feel sorry for yourself, to go to the book of, the, of Ecclesiastes and be reminded that basically the Bible tells us that life happens. The Bible tells us that things are going to take place in our life. The Bible tells us that there's seasons in our life. And when life happens, if I can say it like that, I have a promise that I can still have joy and be glad about it. I can still be aware of what God's done for me and be glad about it. Before I give us the outline this morning, let me just say, there's too many Christians that are ignoring the promises of God. One being, thou shalt have joy and gladness. One thing that this world should not be able to figure out about a child of God is why when things don't go like we would like for them to go, why are we still got a smile on our face? Why aren't we depressed? Why aren't we giving up? Hey, the, the last place a Christian ought to be is, is belly up to a bar on Friday night, drinking their sorrows away. For a lot of reasons, but specifically, what I know is the reality. What I know God's done for me is the joy what I know is coming. This is passing by. It's but for a moment. My whole life, the Bible says, is a vapor. My whole life is gone. I mean, how many times, how old and ridiculous do we get to always start conversations? Well, time sure flies, doesn't it? It's just going by. Look at all these kids. They're growing up. They're not having babies. Their babies are having babies. How, that's, the re, that's the reality of how quick our life goes by. But yet I know in my mind what God has done, and I can have joy and gladness. It's a promise of God. Now notice some things in the life of Zacharias here very quickly. Let me state number one. Joy and gladness comes. Let me say, if there's a promise of God, I want to know about it. I get from this that no matter what goes on around me, I can still be glad. I can still have happiness based on what God's done for me. I can still have a proper perspective on life. Well, I want to know more about this. Number one, joy and gladness comes from an investment in prayer. Notice verse 13. We've already seen verse 11, the angel appears. Verse 12, Zacharias saw him. He was troubled and fear fell upon him. Verse 13, but the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth had been praying for God to give them a child. I would dare say that the first time Zacharias prayed for a child was not on this day that Gabriel appeared. I would submit to you this morning that an investment in prayer had been made. 
And in the midst of an investment of prayer, we find the promise, thou shalt have. You have find an answer to that prayer, but you find that promise, thou shalt have joy and gladness. Christian, you cannot communicate with your God, and you can't, cannot ignore the opportunity of prayer and, and have a correct understanding of all that God has done. Keep your mind where it's supposed to be because our circumstances do affect us. What goes on around us does affect us. And when, that, when life around us changes, when there's disappointment, we must go to our knees, to our God, and invest in prayer. Prayers that are never prayed or never heard. Well, God didn't answer my prayer. Did you pray? My Bible says God gives us the desires of our heart. Man, I was thinking this morning... Driving, driving to, to the church this morning, I had in my mind as I'm driving down the road, I was just thinking and the Holy Spirit brought to mind prayers that God answered that I didn't verbally even pray this week. It was just a thought that I had in my heart. It'd be nice if. It'd be wonderful if. And I can take you to specific things this morning that just, a, just, a, just an expression of my heart I didn't even take the time to put on a prayer list. God answered. We find in the life of Zacharias an investment in prayer. He had prayed many prayers, many years. He said, Pastor, why do you point this out? I don't see the relation with joy and gladness, but I see a relation between Zacharias' relationship with God and joy and gladness. He said, Pastor, I know a lot of miserable Christians. I do too. They're not, the miserable Christians I know are more miserable because they don't have a relationship with their God as they should. It's, it's more about that and less about their circumstances. I know what it's like to carry burdens. I know what it's like to have disappointments as, as everybody does. I know people who've been through things, I look at them and say, Oh, my goodness. Anybody ever done that? If I were you, I'd be discouraged. Now, if you feel that way, don't tell them that. If I were you, I'd give up. But why do they keep going? Probably because they invested in a relationship with their God. Number two, the second thing I see in the story of Zacharias that centers around this promise. Thou shalt have joy and gladness. Joy and gladness, number two, brings a fulfillment of God's purpose. Or should I say, comes from a fulfillment of God's purpose. Look at me in verse 15 through 17. As Gabriel begins to explain the purpose of John, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just who make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The purpose of God is being spelled out. With the purpose of God, there is joy and gladness. It brings joy and gladness to the heart of a parent, and certainly it did Zacharias to know that his child would be used by God. I believe there's many Christians today that they do not experience joy and gladness, and they should. 
because it has nothing to do with the circumstances around them. It happens to, to do with what they know in their mind. That God loves us. That God has saved us. God has granted me salvation that I did not deserve or earn. I have a future with no discomfort. I have a future with no pain. I have a future with no suffering. I have a, a future of perfection. I have that joy, and therefore I have gladness that comes with that joy. That is linked to the fulfillment of God's purpose. I, I, I could give you, as we all could, examples of Christians who have all the circumstances as they would want them. They're not worried about the amount of money in their bank account because they've got plenty of it. They're not worried about the acceptance by friends and family because they have it. But they don't live with any joy. They don't live with gladness. Why is that? Because that which is around them has distracted them from the purpose that God has given them. Their purpose is to live for Him, is to honor Him, is to glorify Him. John the Baptist had a specific purpose that only John the Baptist would fulfill. He was the forerunner of Christ. And can I say this morning that you or I, we are not the forerunner of Christ but no matter who you are this morning, you have a specific purpose that only you can fulfill. Your pastor cannot fulfill your purpose for you. Only you can. That makes you very important. That, I, see, I want to I have joy and gladness because the role that I play in God's purpose, I want to be faithful to it. I may not know what God's purpose is in every situation, but I, just ha I can have joy in knowing that God knows the purpose. We, we, we complicate, as Christians, we complicate our lives so much by trying to, to, to take care of things that only God can take care of. Deal with things that only God can deal with. He has the ability to deal with it. And in doing so, many times we neglect that which we have control over. A good rule and role in life is to control the things that you can control and let God control the things that you can't control. Joy and gladness bring the fulfillment of God's purpose, number three. This is where it gets difficult. Joy and gladness comes from a willingness to be patient. Verse 18, Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. We find Gabriel coming to Zacharias. Pretty significant, isn't it? We find that Zacharias has been praying for this specific thing. God sent word not by a man, but by Gabriel the archangel. And we get to verse 18, and basically what Zacharias is saying, hurry up, I'm an old man. Hurry up, I don't have time to waste. Hurry up, let's get, let's get it done. Hurry up, make this happen. But there had to be a willingness to be patient 
for God to do what God is going to do in the timing in which he chooses to do it. I wonder how many Christians have prayed to God and asked God for something specific as Zacharias did here. And because God did not answer in that one prayer, they never offered another one. Or because a year went by, they gave up. Or because two years went by, well, I guess it's not the will of God. Another year goes by. Well, I guess God doesn't care about me like he cares about others. Joy and gladness comes when you're willing to be patient. If you have been here any length of time and you listen to even half of what I say, boy, that crowd just got real small, right? You know that I have admitted on many occasions I am not a patient man. That's the one fault I have. I am not a patient man. But you know, the longer I say that and the more often I say it, the more I discover you're not very patient either. Pastor, I don't know if that's true. Oh, yeah, I've seen you already sneak a peek at your watch. I know, I know how impatient you are. But so many times we go to God and say, God, I need this. It's a good thing. It's, I have to believe it's your will. I need it. Would you give it, give it to me? And I expect it now. God is not limited by your schedule, by my schedule. But you know, I've encountered frustration in my own life, and I've seen frustration in the life of many Christians. Whenever I'm unwilling to be patient. And God, I need this answer. I want this answer now. Whatever happened to praying, and when we pray, if it be thine will. Truth of the matter is, so many of us as Christians, we go to God bringing him a request of what we want without having any consideration of how our requests might affect what he wants. And the patience that we must be willing to live our life if we're going to have joy and gladness. See, if you pray and you expect God to do something in a way right now, and he doesn't do it on your terms, in your timing, it steals your joy. Because you're focused on what you think God didn't do instead of being focused on what God did do for you. Now you're focused on the disappointment because you think God didn't hear you or you were disappointed in God's plan. No, we take our requests to God. We're busy in the service of God, waiting on God to give the answer. Some things aren't going to be answered till we get to heaven with Him. I'll share this as a testimony again. Oh, I prayed fervently for, for our daughter Amanda to be healed. 
For eight months I did that. He healed her, but not in the way I wanted. But that should not steal my joy. Because I should run my race with patience. And while Zacharias realized that he has now gotten an age, and he's like, oh my goodness, whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And you notice the discernment that Zacharias had because he didn't say, my wife is an old lady. He said, and my wife is well stricken in years. For years he had run his race. He says, thou shalt have joy and gladness. There's patient about the number four. And this is critical as well. Joy and gladness comes from a willingness to continue to be productive. Verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Which shall be fulfilled in their season. Verse 21, And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Now watch this. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. How life-changing was this conversation Zacharias had? What an amazing experience. To be in the presence of Gabriel, the archangel. Gabriel, who left the presence of God to enter into the presence of Zacharias. And to be told that your prayers have been heard, yes, humanly speaking, you're an old man. But John, your son, is the forerunner. He's going to turn many people to Christ. And because of his doubt, now he comes out and he lost his ability to speak. Think about how life-altering this was. Think about how life-altering this situation that took place. His life would never be the same. Can anybody identify with that? If you live long enough, something is going to take place in your life in the midst of your service for God that's going to alter it whether it be the actions of somebody else, whether it be disease or death or disappointment, whatever it is, something's going to alter it. This was a life-altering occasion. But we find in verse number 23, he did not leave the temple and travel back to his home until all of his duties were fulfilled. 
Too many times in the life of a Christian, we want joy and gladness. We want the intervention of God. We say, well, this is a life-altering thing. And we sit back and we we rest in our spiritual life and say, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to just wait on God to move and do everything. And I'm not doing anything until he does. But he stayed and fulfilled his responsibility. In the life of a Christian, if you want to have joy and gladness, we are not promised for all things good to be done in our life. We are not promised for life to work out as we see it. We are not promised no burdens. We are not promised no disappointments. We're not promised perfect health, perfect circumstances. But I find in my Bible that God wants us to have joy and gladness And part of that joy and gladness, it comes to fruition when we just do what we're expected to do. See, if we don't fulfill that which God wants us to fulfill, this is going to be deep. We're unfulfilled. There's a lot of Christians who are living unfulfilled lives is because you're not doing what you should do for God. And a lot of Christians look in other areas of, of, of life and look for other things to fulfill to a void in their life when if they would just get busy about doing what they know they should do for the Lord, then that joy and gladness, well, I just can't find joy. I mean, what are you, what are you looking for? Joy is a state of our mind knowing My present situation, well, yeah, pastor, my present situation is this and this. Oh, you're missing it. My present situation, my present circumstances is I'm enjoying a salvation I didn't earn. I'm enjoying a salvation I couldn't buy. I'm enjoying a salvation I don't deserve. And if I were to take my last breath today, I'm assured of what's coming in the future. It is a perfection in in an eternal home with my God and with my Savior. You can't take it. Anyway, I'm happy about that. I'm glad about that. You're looking at a man this morning who is not perfect. You're looking at a man this morning who has had difficulty in his life. You're looking at a man this moment, uh, this morning who, is, who has faced some hardships in his life. You're looking at a man this morning who knows what it's like to carry burdens as all of us can testify. But I can I tell you, I've got joy in my heart. I've got joy in my life. Say, you must be a very good Christian. You're missing the whole point. I don't claim to be a good Christian at all. All I know is I know what God has done for me. All I can tell you is I know who God is in my life. All I can tell you is what I know, I know I'm saved, and there's nobody that can take that away from me. And I'm happy about it. I'm glad about it. Well, Pastor, what are are you going to do? You've been using, I've been using as an illustration many times. Just playing, it just seems this way with with the loss loss of our daughter. God says you can still be happy, so what are you going to do? I'm just going to keep serving. I'm just going to keep doing what I know I'm supposed to do. And in that comes joy and gladness. What a life-altering event. But he finished his responsibility. I look around the room this morning and in this room are Christians 
who buried a loved one way too soon. Can I ever be happy again, Pastor? Well, I know you can have joy. I know you can have gladness. But what should I do? Just keep going. Just keep serving. Just keep being faithful. Was well, a life-altering event that took place that I didn't know that when I went to that doctor's appointment, how much it would change my life. You can still have joy and gladness. It's not a pleasant thing, but it's certainly a memorable thing to be in the presence of a Christian when they take their last breath on this side and go to the other. For some to know, I'm going to see my Savior soon. I've been in the presence and there hadn't been a lot of peace in my heart about it. But I can testify I've seen peace in their life. Because we must be reminded and keep in our mind what God has done for us. Friend, this morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can't have peace. Because the Holy Spirit of God will convict you. The Holy Spirit of God will remind you that you need God. You need Christ. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn your forgiveness. And as much as you want to fill it with something else, you're not going to have peace. It will never leave you alone. If you're saved this morning... There's no excuse for us not to have joy and gladness. If we study that phrase out, I just did a casual study of joy and gladness and how many times it appears in the Bible. And every time it is referred to, it deals with our relationship with God and either what God promises He'll do for us or what we lose when we don't fulfill our responsibility to Him. you're saved this morning, you can still have joy. You can still be glad about what God's done for you. May it be so. Father, I pray. You'll take